Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Today for the meditation of the scriptures, let us open the Bibles and turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is often referred to as the covenant Psalm and the author of the Psalm, Ethan the Esrite, rehearses the promise that the Lord made to David and the seed of David. And the overall theme of this Psalm is the appeal that the Psalmist is making to the Lord to remember his covenant that he had made with David and to rescue his people from the troubles that had been plaguing the nation of Israel. It is indeed a really long psalm, but when we go through this psalm, the themes of the covenant faithfulness of God and the covenantal love of God, the steadfast love of God springs forth and it is of great comfort to every person who wants to meditate upon the nature of God. Historians say that the psalm was written during the latter years of uh, Israel as a nation when during the reign of uh, King Jehoiakim, he was taken into the Babylonian captivity. The psalm also has a lot of messianic implications with many of the references pointing not to David or to his seed but rather to the Lord Jesus Christ himself in whom all the fulfillment of the messianic promises of Davidic covenant are fulfilled. The psalm broadly divides itself very well according to the word Selah that is seen at the side of the psalms and we can understand that the division happens like this. Verses 1 to 4 of the psalm talks about the mercies of the Lord and the steadfast love of the Lord and verses 5 until 18 talks about the greatness of God in the universe and verses 19 till 37 are an exposition of God's promises to David and verses 38 to 45 talks about the casting off of the beloved and the anointed of the Lord, the nation of Israel and the king and verses 46 to 48 is the prayer that the psalmist is making to God saying, How Lord, O God! And lastly, the psalm closes off by asking God, where is your steadfast love? Let us look at verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4 talk about the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. The overall theme that we see here is the covenant that God establishes with the nation of Israel and the result of the steadfast love or the covenant-keeping love as a result of that. The overall theme of this psalm is the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. And we see that reflected in every portion of this psalm. And both these are excellent words to study as well. If, For example, if you look at the psalm and if you just underline the words steadfast love or mercy of God and the faithfulness of God, wherever you find that in this particular psalm, that itself will be a very profitable study when we realize the love of God and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Meditating upon that particular aspect of God, his love towards us and his faithfulness towards us is the sure way to worship God. And here the psalmist says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. I will make known his faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. Having received this kind of love and faithfulness from the Lord, it puts us under two obligations. Number one, we have to worship him for his great works towards us, for his love towards us. And secondly, his faithfulness has to be rehearsed in the hearts and minds of the generations that God has given us so that they will also realize that we have a covenant-keeping faithful God. In verses 5 to 18 of this psalm, the psalmist talks about the glory and the greatness of God that is reflected in his universe and his creation. If you remember, David also had a habit of looking at the creation that was around him, looking at the beauty and the order and the glory of God that was reflected in the creation. And ultimately that brought him to a closer state of meditating upon the glory of God and worshipping the Lord. As we read in the book of Romans chapter 1, 
the nature itself has a way of pointing every person towards God. When we see the creation, in our heart we meditate upon the truths of creation and we wonder who is this creator and how this creator is. And the answer to that question that every man has comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. In verse 5 onwards, the psalmist says this, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, with your faithfulness all around you? The psalmist does two things here. He looks at all the heavenly bodies, the celestial bodies that God has created and placed in orbit. And secondly, he imagines the spiritual beings that God has created. And then he realizes that there is none like him. He looks at all this and finally he worships and reveres God for there is none indeed like him. Why? Because of his faithfulness, because of his glory, because of his justice. It is indeed a blessed thing to contemplate the greatness of heavens and how it reflects the greatness of God. For if we see the greatness of the heavens, how greater is the God who created the heavens and the earth and so beautifully placed an order into all this. The design that is evident, the, the thumbprint of God that is evident in all of creation. Compared to all these glorious sights of creation, mankind, if you look at each one of us, we are so small and we are so insignificant. And yet the Lord, by his covenant faithfulness, he has placed his heart upon his creation, his image is there upon each child of his. And we see that is what differentiates us from all the rest of creation. When we contemplate this, like David, we can say, Who am I so that you are so mindful of me, O God? We come to verses 10 to 13, and there we remember God's powerful deliverance from Egypt. The nation of Israel had been imprisoned in Egypt, but God, through his strong and mighty arm, he delivered them. Let us read that. The word says, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is there in it. You have founded them. The north and south you have created. And he goes on and says, verse 13, you have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High is your right hand. For the nation of Israel, their deliverance from Egypt and the Exodus was a landmark event. It birthed the nation of Israel into the purposes of God. And we realize that he rehearsed, the psalmist rehearses that by saying, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. And the word Rahab is used often in the Old Testament to refer to the nation of Egypt and also the power behind the nation of Egypt. In verses 10 to 13, we realize God's ultimate sovereignty and power over all of creation from north to south, from east to west, everything has been created by God. Even the evil nations and the peoples that are oppressing the nation of Israel are created by God. And here the psalmist recounts the covenant faithfulness of God who crushed the enemy and made a carcass out of him and scattered the enemy with the mighty arm of God. And that deliverance, that remembrance of the deliverance is effective in the nation of Israel today also. When the psalmist looks at the current state of Israel, this memory of the God who acted so powerfully on their behalf is instilling faith in them, thinking that God will be able to do a present work today during their present times of oppression from the enemy. We come to verse 14 to 18 where the psalmist recounts and remembers the qualities and attributes and nature of our God. And he says like this, righteousness and justice are the foundation. 
of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout or the joyful sound, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all day and in your righteousness are exalted. The psalmist says we are the most blessed of all people because we know the joyful sound of worshipping you, of praising you. We are the ones who are the most blessed because we have enjoyed and partaken of these attributes of yours. Your righteousness, your justice, your steadfast love, your faithfulness is all effective in our lives. We are so blessed because we are walking in the light of your face and we exult in your name. And because of your righteousness, we are exalted. Your righteousness is prominent in our lives every day. This portion of the psalm is a picture of the kingdom of God and the joy that we have when we are in the kingdom of God. And it also talks about verse 17 and 18 where the glory of the Lord is the strength of Israel, the favor of the Lord is the promotion of Israel and protection of Israel is the Lord himself. The psalm says the people of God are lifted up above their enemies by the strength of God and he is the one who defends us and he is the one who fights for us, causing us to be more than conquerors in all the life situations. And by his grace and holiness, we will go from strength to strength, triumphing over our enemies and over every life situation. Now the next portion of the psalm, that is verse 19 to 37, talk about God's promises that he made to David. And verses 19 to 24 talk about God's choice, anointing and promise that he has given to David. God who sees the heart of people looked down upon the sons of men, looked down on the nation of Israel and found that one person who could lead the nation of Israel according to the ways of the Lord, according to the intimacy that he had gleaned from the Lord. He saw David even while he was in the sheepfold and he took him and he anointed him and he established him and made the covenant promises to him that makes Israel stand as a nation even today. The psalmist recounts in verse 21 the fact that the Lord shall establish him and strengthen him. It is because of the Lord that David has remained as a king and he, it is because of him that the nation has remained as the nation of God today. And the reason why the enemies of the nation of Israel and the enemies of David were not able to crush them as a nation or as a king, the reason for that is described in verse 24 where he says, My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. We can say along with David, we can say along with the psalmist that it is purely by the grace and mercy of God that we are able to stand today. Verses 25 to 37 of the psalm, the psalmist actually goes deeper into the covenant that God made with David. He goes through the covenant promises to David and this section of the psalm has a strong messianic overtone where many of the things which cannot be fulfilled in the life of David has been fulfilled through the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. The eternal promises of God which were not fulfilled in the lifetime of David find its ultimate fulfillment in the person of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verses 25 to 28 talk about the Lord's covenant faithfulness with the king. He says, he shall cry to me, you are my father. That is prophetically about Jesus Christ, but also that was the case for David. And he says here in verse 28, my steadfast love I will keep for him ever. And my covenant shall remain faithful for him. In verses 29 to 33, the psalmist recounts the portion of the covenant that is related to the offspring of David. Now, remember, the covenant that God made with David is applicable not just to him during his life, lifetime, but to the entire nation of Israel and to the sons of David and the genealogy of David as well. 
He says here, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven shall remain steadfast. Now we know that it was not the case for the sons of David and the lineage of David that followed because they did not all remain as kings. But the fulfillment of that promise comes in the person of Jesus Christ who is established as king forever and ever. Now one of the most beautiful things that happened to David's dynasty as a result of this covenant that he entered into with God is the fact that God promises even if the children of David forsake the law of the Lord and even if they violate the statutes of God and even if they don't keep the commandments, surely he will punish their transgressions with the rod, meaning there will be a chastening that will happen in their life. But he says here in verse 33, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Covenant is always based on a relationship and one of the blessings that happen to a person when he enters into a covenant is that he enters into a relationship and because David entered into a relationship with the Lord, his dealings with the Lord were not transactional but rather it was relational and because of that God extends his mercy to the generations and says even though they depart from my ways, I will surely punish them but I will not remove the steadfast love and faithfulness from them. If you contrast this with the life of King Saul, Saul had never entered into a covenant relationship with God. And as a result of that, when Saul departed from the ways of God, God lifted his mercy away from him. But because David had entered into a relationship with the Lord, the mercy of God endured with David and his generation forever. And this is a precious promise that we also need to claim and we also need to apply it to the, our generations and to our children as well. Because our, we want our children to be taught of the Lord, to be instructed of the Lord. We want them to walk in the ways of the Lord. And our desire is that even if they depart from the, the ways of the Lord, through the chastening and through the love of God, He will correct them and He will correct us so that we can return to the straight and narrow path that He has set before us. In verses 34 to 37, we see the surety of the covenant that God has made with David. He says, I will not violate my covenant. I will not lie to David. I have sown by my holiness and it is a faithful witness. But after this section of the psalm, we come to verses 38 to 45, which talks about the present reality of the state of Israel as the psalmist wrote the psalm. He says here about the casting off of the beloved nation and of the anointed king and the current reality is not pleasant. He says here, you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. This talks about a period when the royalty had absolutely failed, been captured. The nation was under captivity. The crown was lying in the dust. He says here, verse 40, you have breached all the walls. You have laid the strongholds in ruins. The walls of Jerusalem were broken. The enemy had entered in and destroyed even the temple. All who passed by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. Israel was the pride of God. Israel was a nation that enjoyed the favor of God and was exalted compared to all the other surrounding nations. But because of that very same thing, all the nations had a jealousy towards this nation of Israel. And because Israel was now lying in ruins, all the surrounding nations were gloating over them. In verse 42, the psalmist says, the enemies are right now rejoicing. You have ex exalted the right hand of the enemies of Israel. You have turned back the edge of the sword. You have not made him stand in the battle. 
Israel was a nation that was strong in battle and so long as they were walking in the ways of God in favor with God no enemy could stand against them but then what happened was they failed to keep the covenant they went idolatrous they became unfaithful to the Lord in the covenant that they had made and as a result of that God allowed them to experience weakness and failure in battles Verse 44 and 45 talks about the fact that the splendor of the king of Israel had ceased. The throne has been cast to the ground. You have cut short the days of youth. You have covered him with shame. And here we realize that this talks about the reign of the kings of Israel, which had become very shortened. The boys were reigning on the throne of David at that period of time because the reigns of the kings became very short. Yehoaz, Yehoiakim, Yehoiakim, Zedekiah, all these people were actually reigning Israel for a very brief period of time and the years of reign were cut off. When we contrast that with the earlier kings who had reigned for 40 years etc. We see that indeed God's favor had ceased from the kingship. When the psalmist looked at the present state of Israel, he is looking back at the covenant and he is asking God, Lord, have you renounced the nation? Lord, have you renounced the covenant? Have you forgotten about the covenant that you made with David? In verse 34 and verse 35, the Lord himself swears that I will not violate my covenant. I have sworn by my holiness. I will not alter the word that went forth from my lips. That means God is not the one who is violating the covenant here. The nation of Israel is just undergoing the chastening at the hand of the Lord for having departed from the terms of the covenant. And God in his mercy gave the prophetic ministry to the nation of Israel to warn them of every time they were departing from the covenant, every time that they were going after idols, every time they were becoming unfaithful to God, God sent them prophets to warn them and to restore them. The heart of the message of every prophet was that of restoration, restoring the relationship of the people back to God. However, when they persisted in ignoring that message of the prophet, what happened was they provoke the Lord to give them into the hands of the enemies so that they can experience the chastening of the Lord which will eventually bring them back to the Lord himself. But no chastening is pleasant when we are going through it and that is why the psalmist in verses 46 to 48 he asked this question to the Lord, Lord how long? We are desiring deliverance from that chastening, we are desiring deliverance from that captivity that is what the psalmist brings before the Lord. He says, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity you have created all the children of men. We also ask the Lord the same question when we go through a period of trial, when we go through a difficult period of our life, we ask the Lord, How long, O Lord? It is a legitimate question. Sometimes the Lord answers, sometimes he does not. But one thing is sure, his faithfulness remains with us forever. And that should be the trust, that should be the hope that we have even when we are going through an unpleasant period of our life. In verse 47, the psalmist says, remember how short my time is. He realizes that the time is going by and the Lord needs to act soon for him to see that deliverance in his own lifetime. For he is getting advanced in years. And then he asks this question in verse 48. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? In the Old Testament, there was no hope that a person had against death. However, in the New Testament, the blessing of the Lord is that we can actually live and we can never see death. I'm not talking about the, the death of our body, but eternally we can live in the presence of God for he has brought us into eternal life and he has broken the power of death 
when Jesus was crucified, when he was resurrected, the power of death was broken. And that is the reason why we can hope. In the last section of the psalm, verses 49 to 52, the psalmist says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, by which your faithfulness your soul to David? The question here is, where is the steadfast love of God? Why does the psalmist ask this? Verse 50, he says, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Clearly, this psalm is written by Ethan, that's right, but probably it was the king who sat with him and uh, expressed all these words to him. And we realize that this is the lament of a person who is leading the nation of Israel. The times are evil. He knows the nation has transgressed the covenant. He knows the days are becoming even more difficult because they are going into cactus captivity and at that point of time he asked the Lord the question Lord where is your steadfast love where is your faithfulness the truth is the Lord still has got the steadfast love towards the nation of Israel he is loving towards you he is still faithful towards you but remember there is also our part of turning back to him of getting back into the relationship with him of once again being restored into the lord's presence and surely the lord shall once again re-exert the terms of his covenant and re-exert his faithfulness and re-exert his love towards us and surely we shall experience the deliverance that we are desiring the psalmist does not end in a note of despair at all here. He remembers the faithfulness and he asks God this question. It is a literal device. It's a style of writing where he asks, Lord, where is your faithfulness? Knowing well that God is still steadfastly loving Israel. God is still faithful towards Israel. And this is just a prayer that he is making before the Lord. And finally, he comes to the conclusion of this psalm. He says, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. In all things, it is the Lord who is getting blessed. In all things, he gets glorified. In the justice that he exerts on earth, he gets glorified. In even the chastening of his children, the Lord is exalted and glorified. Especially when the children turn back to him, gets restored back into his presence. And once again, when he turns the captivity of the nation of Israel, he receives the glory and he receives the honor. We may go through a period of trial and difficulty in our lives, but let these verses bring hope into our hearts for our God is a covenant keeping faithful God and when we realize that we bow down before him and we worship him because he is worthy of all worship. May these words comfort us, edify us and challenge us to an ongoing walk with the Lord. May the Lord bless us through the meditation of the scriptures.